the worst of all, speaking of moving away from locations, is people think they can do everything CGI. Oh, yeah, well, we yeah. do this, and it's all special effects. And it's like, you know, you hear that. I, I think you probably hear it more on, you know, uh, an unfunded set rather than people who are know what they're at in here. Oh, yeah, that can be fixed in post. In the room, 52 Jokers Wild. Welcome, everybody, to the show in the room with 52 Jokers Wild. This week, our guest is actor Jerry Cannon. Hello, Jerry, and welcome to our little show. We've, we've been having the pre-ramble there was quite interesting because we were talking about Vikings. We were talking about some interesting little backstories between you and Garvin, which we must investigate a little bit more as well. So tell us a little bit about... Actually, let's go straight into that with a Garvin connection. That'd be quite interesting. <laughs> What's your connection well, this with will be Garvin? Frightening. <laughs> well, are you still on parole or am I on parole? I mean, that's what we've done. <laughs> so, Garvin, are you still on parole? Parole? No, again, from yeah. school. <laughs> I, I, I think Jerry just threw in a, a brought up the past, and that's not yeah. something which is going to be the best of times because I I can't remember yesterday. But I mean, to go back to let's see, if I'm fifty four ish and school, we're going back forty years. I was in Oakland's College for about twelve years, primary and secondary jail. It was no, admittedly, what I do remember of going into the secondary in Oakland's College was I was six foot three at 13 years of age. We went in, and all the first years were getting beaten up and pushed around by the six years and fifth years. And I was on their side pushing around the first years. Actually, most of the teachers thought I was a trainee teacher. I had my little tash. I had my voice was breaking. I was six foot three with a mono brow, and I was in just in first year in secondary school in Oakland. That's my first memory of that place. And I was beaten up the young lads with the big lads. So, Jerry, do you remember anything about that place? Uh, I wasn't there that year, luckily. Um, no, I was slightly ahead. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, but speaking of acting, actually, I mean, um, you know, I only returned to acting as a full-time career in 2016. But, um, All right. you know, sometimes I was only thinking about this earlier. Sometimes people ask me, you know, well, you know, you know, why did you do it or how come you changed from, you know, having your own business or working in a job, whatever it was. And I remember, you know, it's probably something I always wanted to do. And I was quite good at impersonating the teachers and the other students as well. But um, when we were doing our leaving cert, we were doing the um, peg, nah, whatever. Peg Sarah's, hey, are you talking Western about that? No, I, I was having a nightmare there for a sec. Sorry. Playboy <laughs> the Western World was the play. Right, that's not as bad as Peg Sarah's, I'll tell you yeah, that much. I know. Someone should have too. gone back in time and shot that woman yeah, because she, she was the pain of every little Irish boy on the planet. Oh I, couldn't, I couldn't even read that book in English. Because, yeah. Sorry, you know, back to the Playboy, anyway, Playboy uh, the Western World. That could yeah, be we were, me as we were well. Doing that. And um, anyway, there was great hall, as you know, in the in the primary school, which was never utilized, but uh, down the road, RT um, still had the RT players. So they came along and they were obviously doing, you know, a school's production, touring around the place. So they did the Playboy of the Western World. And actually a few of the actors that were there would have been in the Reardon's, which was, as you know, the farming soap way before Glen Row. And um, I used to, instead of studying... Uh, I all I remember is Landon Larder, if you're going to yeah. say. That's what we I had in Northern Ireland. I used to be reading all the character parts out loud rather than doing my homework. But we had um, a library, <clears throat> which was an old classroom. Um, I think it was a science lab with a few career guidance leaflets. And I picked up one of these blue leaflets 
and acting was on it. And the place you could go to become an actor was the, um, was the Abbey School of Acting. So I sent them off a nice letter, uh, threatened to send them a tape on a cassette if they'd like it as well. And I never heard back. And oh. then about maybe three or four years after I'd left school, I was reading an article one day and discovered that the, the Abbey School of Acting had closed down about eight years beforehand. <laughs> so it didn't get off to a great start. <laughs> Oh, I had a similar sort of story because I, I, um, I actually, when I was at college doing arts, I decided to do an acting drama class in the evening and we ended up doing puppeteering and stuff like that. And it had one class, but because there's only six of us there, they cancelled the class. And I went, oh, for goodness sake. They said, well, you can always come back next year. I said, I'm off to Bournemouth to film school. <laughs> so I can't well, do that. <laughs> a better plan. No, yeah. actually, you just reminded me of the one piece of career guidance I got in Oaklands College. And I, I'll remember the teacher's name in a minute, or basically, I better not. But I remember getting my five minutes. I think every student got five or 10 minutes with this chap. Of, now, this, was your, this wasn't your career guidance course, or you go in and got it like every other week and you talked and discussed. You got 10 to 15 minutes before you left the school. And my 10 minutes was, oh, Begara, aren't you very tall? Now, that, we started off with that. He says, do you play basketball? No, I didn't. You didn't notice me on the gap pitch or out there in the basketball court. So, no, that one's off the career. NBA is out of the career path. So he says, well, you're not too bad looking. Maybe you could be a model. And I says, right, I'm walking out of there with a smile on my face going, yeah, I'm a good looking chap. I'm tall. I'm off for my modeling career. I can give up the maths and physics now. We'll see how that goes. But be Jesus, six years later, didn't I get picked up as a model? And it was the only bit of, bit of career guidance I could actually see that actually worked. But I didn't go look. It came and sought me out. Now, yeah. I had no muscles. I didn't pursue it. I, I, I hadn't got the right ego at the time. But it, it actually, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy of career guidance. And I take it for what it was. I was meant to be a model at least for 10 minutes in my life. I've done that 10 minutes of fame. I'm owed another five. That's what this is all about. So it turns out I'm not meant to be the 18-year-old, 25-year-old model. I think I'm meant to be the 56-year-old model. That means I now need to cut down 106 shows down to five minutes. For goodness sake. You know, we've overdone it a little bit there now, haven't we? We've yeah. given you definitely about 106 so hours worth the of time. The one thing that's common here, George, though, is we went off and we did stuff for 30 yeah. years. And you yeah. just touched on it again, Jerry, that what we were saying, our, our journey for the last couple of years has been you know, the 52 Jokers Wild Journey is about changing that, you know, the, can, the, the deck of cards, the hand we were dealt, and picking the career we want or where in that career, as opposed to just letting someone else decide and deal us the deck. So you've swapped careers. You've done something else. Don't know what that was. You did acting. Didn't see anything you were in. Maybe we did. But where you go, it's more about the future than now and the future. So you've played a couple of hairy Vikings, What's the plan? What's the plan? What you, who do you plan to be next? Who do I plan? Well, I plan to be me. Because, I mean, this is what I'm told. Casting directors, they don't want someone else. They want you. Yes. So I'm beginning to get the confidence to be me. Right. Uh, in Bold doctor. Is that what you're told? So you told us a minute ago, you're, you're, you're stereotyped a little bit as, actually, they don't want you, you said. They want your voice. They says that you're, you're not too sure about the you, but the voice is doing great by itself. Can we bring the rest of the bodily parts along with it, do you reckon? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, not a bother. Well, yeah. I, I do think uh, it's, in, it's interesting because we were talking to another actor the other day and uh, he was saying, and what's what Garvin has been talking about seems to echo what um, 
our, our guest said the other day was that quite often you end up spending the first 20 minutes on their misconceptions of who you are. They don't give you, they, they, they come with all these biases, whereas now it's kind of, let's get in there and talk about who we are and where we are and what we do, you know, as opposed to what we look like at this particular point in time, let's get into the psyche of the person. I think that's the important thing that we're doing. So how, how are you trying to be you? <laughs> how am I trying to be me? Um, well, there you go. It's, it's my interpretation, et cetera. But I suppose um, I did train for the theater at one stage. So in about 1979, 80 or thereabouts, I did find, a theatre school, and it was in Dublin, run by a fellow called Brendan Smith. And that man had founded the Dublin Theatre Festival back in the day. He also ran the Olympia Theatre for many years, struggling along. This is before they ever had, you know, music gigs or anything there. I was just so, going to say, um, before Boys on the Westlife made an appearance there. Exactly. <laughs> before, before boy bands, full stop. Um, so anyway, I went there, and um, then I went on to the College of Music, and... When we were there, we were studying uh, for the London Guildhall exam. So the examiners would oh, wow. come over and we would actually do, you know, either monologues, duologues, et cetera. And they would assess us. So the ultimate aim of that was that you would become a drama teacher. But I didn't have any interest in that either. And a lot of my contemporaries did go on and um, take up full time theatre careers as they were. But when I did come back to acting in end of 2015, 16, Screen acting was there full time, which hadn't really existed previously when I was, yeah. you know, was going to be a stage actor. And um, anyway, so I did various workshops, went to Bow Street, went to Film Base when it was still there. And I, the difference is, you know, getting when you see your face on a screen, you're going to go, oh, Jesus, why don't I look like George Clooney and that pink headed yoke? It's bald, you know. I, um, I, no, no, no. When I see you, my face no on the screen, that, yeah. I have no but, problem with that. I was going, Jesus, wouldn't George Clooney love to be looking at that now? That's yeah. like he, he's jealous. I think you need to have the ego. Otherwise, you'd be starstruck and therefore you're not going to be able to be this better you or, or new you or dressed up you. So there, because I think that's what most people, they're afraid of being themselves or, or, on the real that. self. Yeah. You know. Um, so now, well, actually, know. the one thing... <clears throat> I know that uh, I, I was on uh, an extra on a film a few years back. I'd just gone over to, to monitor what was happening on the film. They said, do you want to be in this? And one of the things that I started to realize was, well, I don't need to act anybody else. What I need to do is I need to find what is my goal here? What am I trying to achieve and how do I achieve it? And I've been given these scripts and I thought, well, I just need to go out and say, look, do you want a script? And do you want a script? That was my goal. Hand out all the scripts during this, this particular shot. And I think that's it. As long as you, you're not trying to play somebody, but be something is the key to, to the whole thing. Because we, we were actually talking to, again, our colleague the other day, and he started talking about method acting. I wasn't talking about method acting. I was just talking about the method or the approach you use to act was really what I was trying to get to. Uh, because I know that everybody kind of feels, oh, you have to get into this character and you have to absorb him. And you kind of go, God, what a waste of energy. Lawrence Olivia said... Um, why don't you just act, darling? <laughs> and I think that's the key thing. It's how do you approach then your your acting technique? What's your acting technique? What do you how do you how do you uh, approach roles? Um, well, I suppose from a screen point of view, what I've had to learn is that you you don't have all this yes. stuff going on. It's really you know what you're thinking. It's 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 you know when if I met you in the street. And I knew you and I had said to you something like, oh, George, there you are. 
I didn't think you were going to be in town today. And you're going, oh, well, um, boom. and you start to tell me and I'm looking at your eyes and your body language, and your face. And I know you're actually telling me lies, but you're not acting. But I'm nearly asking what the previous career was now. I said, we're a guard. We're a detective now. Or, um, well, well, well I mean, should, should, should we even be mentioning it now on the show? Uh, I don't even know. Yeah, we can come yeah. back to that. Yeah. Military <laughs> intelligence. That's where he is. No, I've always no, he's a, a psychologist. You know, behavior behavior analyst. Ah, yeah. you see, that's, that's fascinating. So, but, but the point is that, I mean, yeah. that, that's, that's real life. So when you're on screen, it has to look like it is real life. Like if we go into the theatre, which I was performing in last week in Smock Alley, um, you know, we know the set that's on stage is not a pub. It's supposed to be a pub. It's not a real pub. And, you know, it, there's a different technique. We, the people buy into the, shall we say, the illusion from the get go. So then they yeah. just focus on what's been said, who's looking at who, how's, how it's happening. And there's a slightly different technique because we don't have editors. We don't have cameras to get, you know, Close up, extreme close up. We don't have over the shoulder shots. We don't have wide shots. We don't have sound effects. We don't have atmosphere. All this stuff that's added in. Um, you know, you can only achieve a certain amount of that on stage unless you. Actually, I like what you're saying, Jerry, because I'm like, I want, no, I wasn't listening to most of it, but some of it, I like what you were saying. Because now you were talking about acting, but actually, what you were, what I was hearing was you were actually very, very aware of. You know, the old, you're talking about the camera positions, you were talking about the lighting, you were talking about what everyone else on set was doing. You know, you zoom in, zoom out. So you, you were talking the language of film set. Mm. You were talking the language of, of crew. You were talking the language of positioning. And, you know, then you're actually jumping back into the position of being the actor, delivering your line and delivering that believability of whatever the story is to get across. So I, I was actually imagining all of that. While now I know you weren't saying any of it, I was actually de- on a set. I was thinking the crew was moving around. The, the camera just zoomed in. Brilliant. Yep. Now that says to me, you've gone beyond acting. Are you a bit of a writer, director, producer in the making? How, are, I'm not too sure because I didn't look at your profile at all. Or are you just an actor? No, um, primarily I'm an actor, and that's what I'm. I know that I'm good at it. That's what I can do. So acting, including voiceover work, but. Um, I am veering towards producing. Aspiring. Because uh, I'm, I'm not a writer and I'm not a director. Um, I was fortunate just timing-wise when I did decide to take up screen acting. Um, locally, there was a filmmaking group that was formed in Bray and I was one of the founder members. And we churned That's out very the- handy. So, look, you were saying you were lucky to be there. Sorry, Jerry. Yes, you were the first person there, for God's sake. You founded it, then you grabbed the next person to walk by and said, now we're a group. So, yes, I mean, if you're a founding <laughs> member, you weren't just lucky to be there. You did it, you made it happen. Well, there was, I think there was eight of us there for the first meeting. Right. It started off when a bloke put That's out. That's a pub. We know, you know, that was yeah. a real <laughs> pub with drink involved. Funny enough, there was a pub involved, yeah. And then the weekly <laughs> meetings were every fortnight in a bar in the main street in Bray. So the excuse um, to the missuses and wives was we're going to a fa- we're going to the, the drama class in the pub six rounds in. You know. uh, well, the, the other thing is how it, you, you, know, you, you formed a group and you got this group going. Uh, I know we've done something similar because we had little film festivals and we tried to get a script going. But because there were so many voices going in, it actually never got anywhere. So did you find that had, you had the same problem with that particular group or where did it um, go? Well, what happened in this case was it was just because it started off with a small number, nearly every, like I was probably the only person who 
arrived and said, well, I'm one of two that was the full-time actor, but we had someone who had experience on camera and also worked on set, somebody who had done sound work. Uh, we had a few writers. Um, you have a production company going oh, on yeah, here. Hold yeah, on a second. A, well, well, anyway, we'll, well, leading on from that, actually. Okay, so um, as a result of working with a few of these people, then another few of us decided to move on because we wanted to kind of legitimise it a bit. Insurance actually was a, bit, a big issue. Yes. I mean, we were going out yeah. there doing short films, guerrilla style, and, you know, we were just pushing our luck. I, I thought. So I said, you know, we need to get insured. We need to get a bit of a structure. But some people wanted to just stay where they were. They were quite happy in that little comfort zone. And we moved on. So I love the language. Get- you're, you're, Jerry, you've touched on a bunch of our... No, you probably only... You said you watched a couple of minutes of a couple of shows. You certainly didn't go back to the first 50 or 60. And those ones are necessary language here. We're talking about the fear of risk of insurance and all yeah. that sort of stuff comes up there as we went on our startup journey. And it was this formalization... Being hmm. formal about being in the film business, a business of film. And if you are, and you've touched on the biggest fear, compliance, regulatory, yeah. your, your, your permission is that to do it and not get sued or insurance. And that's well, what actually, that's, the that's is. what I did, um, you know, 16 years ago or so. We basically set up a little company, we got the insurance, and that gave us the freedom to go out there and do stuff. Because even if you're teaching filmmaking, one of the problems that we had with trying to teach students was the fact that if you needed to make sure the insurance was there for when they went out and if the lecturer couldn't be with them, who was there guiding them through the process? Because we had some lads going off and thinking they could jump off wall, off buildings and all sorts of things. We're kind of going, you miss fall and break your leg. Who's going to get sued and who's going to pay for that bill? Actually, George, I just two words. You, I just heard it in that sentence and I, yeah. I was mad. It's the first time I've actually heard it and perceived it in that way. My God, you were listening. I know, it's terrible. And (laughs) it's weird, as an accountant, insurance is freedom. That is a weird statement. I was going, risk, compliance, regulatory, cost. No, insurance is freedom. And if you perceive it that way, it allows you to go off and do the value. If you do the risk and compliance and all the rest of that, the admin is to bring that figure down to make that yeah. freedom more, you know, and that, so you got that's, your that's insurance. We were, yeah, we, I mean, I mean, one of the other things that we were st- constantly doing was risk assessment and uh, everybody's kind of, like, oh, why you have to do risk assessment? We kind of went, well, actually, if we've done the risk assessment, again, we've got a certain amount of freedom because we've done that bit of compliance and all of a sudden we could start to structure our films and, and that helped as well. So, some of these things that you think are going to be constraints end up being liberating, you know, techniques for you. And quite often I found that with the films that we've made is that when it's, it's really funny that you never have any money when you're making a movie. <laughs> and it's almost as though it's a test to see if you can actually get that done. And we always did because we'd set up enough procedures to make sure that those films could actually be achieved. And I think that's that's a key Part of actually producing something is right. Is that Jerry, what you found yeah, in your got your freedom yeah. exactly. You yeah, got well, your freedom. Yeah. You paid your insurance. What did you do? Well, yeah. Well, in my case, what we did was I set up another little entity called Son of a Gun Films. So oh, basically, crazy. when we, uh, as in, you know, I'm a son of a big gun, actually. So um, <laughs> having met lots of people in this other film group, um, basically, it, it, from the producing point of view, it's a matter of organizing 
managing like no, I'm not, letting, I'm not letting this one go for a second. Son of a gun, all I'm hearing is you're a cowboy. You're going, oh, you're, and that's back to did you pay the insurance? Sorry, go, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, so no, but so 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 what? I, so so a skill that I have, I, I can kind of organize events. This is, a, you know, other things I've done along in my life. Um, which it won't go into now because it's, it's going to go off on a complete mad tangent. We're not going to let you. Don't worry. No, that's okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, so you know that 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 is a skill that I have. So I can get people who are writers but wouldn't have the wherewithal themselves to even attempt to assemble a crew of people, and it's a script worth making. I might have a director. That's what they want to do. They don't want to, you know, um, have to ring up somebody to get a location. I'm always thinking, okay, well, where could we get for free? that looks really good, that would make this thing pop. You know, not just trying to do something. You are a producer, lion manager, yeah. production, location yeah. specialist. The guy, You are the list again to end. The strange thing is you, are, you, you think you're an actor. No, that's allowed you in. You can perform. <laughs> you have a little bit of the ego there. I want to be seen. I want to be on the front. I want to be in front of the camera on the stage. But you're, everything I've heard since the beginning of the show is your skill set from whatever you did before. Well, it's the project we, management, production yeah. to get stuff made. You, you, Take you were talking about being, uh, you're talking about um, the writers and not knowing, and then you were talking about the location side of things and going off and finding it. Did you ever struggle with writers who basically were so precious with what the locations would be? Or how would you encourage them to think about a location that they hadn't had in mind, but you saw could actually make that film pop? Um, well, I suppose the, 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 the few writers that I knew that I dealt with were flexible, but I think sometimes, you know, I would get, I've probably made about 40 short films, as in, sorry, I've been in about 40 short films. So um, some of them never seen the light of day, 30 plus probably have, but I've also got lots of scripts, say from students or even not even particularly student filmmakers, but, you know, yeah. um, first time. And I, I think what it is sometimes that, they have this ambition, like they're watching, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and everything. And are the worst of all, speaking, moving away from locations, is people think they can do everything CGI. Oh, yeah, well, we yeah. do this and it's all special effects. And it's like, you know, you hear that. I, I think you probably hear it more on, you know, uh, an unfunded set rather than people who are know what they're at and hear. Oh, yeah, that can be fixed in post. Oh. So, you know, Mrs. Wardrobe or, you know... Well, can I use your cannon to blast them out over there? Here because... Who knows nothing about it, you know? Yeah, uh, I absolutely can't. If if the sound is shite in the very beginning, yeah. you know, you're banjoed. And if you can't... Well, got I had a situation with someone more. where I was editing a project. Um, we'd edited two documentaries and uh, the first one went out and it won the award. The second one went out and I got a photo, phone call from the producer that hadn't been there complaining about the way I'd edited it. And I said, but you used a student to do your sound. What was I meant to do? How could I improve the sound? You know, I had what you had and we had a deadline and, you know, that wasn't my fault. That was the way you guys recorded the sound on set. That was the big problem. Actually, Jerry, you know, I, I, I'm going to pick up on what I'm learning. I'm listening. I, I got a bit. The silence is deadening on my side. Trust me. You know, I'm not <laughs> hearing my own voice. But, but you mentioned 30... You've done 30 or 40 shorts. That's brilliant. And as, I mean, that's, is this in the same time only since you started? So you're picking up every short in the market. Actually, I sh everybody should have seen you by now. Well, in the middle indie curve in Ireland, they certainly have. And they must, you're, you're well connected. And because you've been on every short going and every aspirational short to feature journey, you're making the connections with all those other 
breakout people, which mm. is brilliant. That's why the names are starting to pop up on Facebook where the dots are joining. And that makes sense. Now, at the same time, if you're there with these small, unbudgeted and somewhat budgeted crews, because shorts with the very nature are nearly that unfunded territory or not enough funded territory, what's the elephant in the room you're coming across on a regular, regular basis that, you know, needs to be helped or needs to be pushed along or needs to be trained or brought to bear that would make things easier or better for that bunch of people and or yourself? Or that's about seven questions. Off you go. Um, <laughs> well, there's, there's so many aspects to that. I, I think, you know, from my own point of view, um, I think you have to produce, you have to approach something in a professional manner. So, Kind of my well, that's man- over already. Sorry, Jerry. Yeah. I'll just leave now. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, kind of my mantra will be to be professional, be pleasant and be persistent, you know. So, um, th- therefore, when you make a connection with other people on a set, um, very likely you there's that like-minded thing and you'll get asked back again. But speaking of production things, there's a, there's a feature film going to be made in March called Dublin Crust, written by a oh, guy God. called Baz Black. Oh, and, right. yep. um, oh, very I'm, good. Very interesting. I've, that now. I have a part in that, but I'm also involved in the production end of it. And that's currently going down the fundraising route, an Indiegogo page. So uh, you can check all that out on Facebook as well. Oh, we know um, more than that, George, we, don't we? We were talking to Baz the other day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so um, we got guy. some insights about that one. Watch yep. the show tomorrow. Well, actually, in, in, the, the show that's going out tomorrow is actually Baz. <laughs> well, there you are. Um, small yeah, world. I, small world. <laughs> indeed. Yeah, I, I met Baz. We were working on a, a kind of a, a comedy web thing together. And then, like that, he was making something else. He invited me on board. And then he invited me, he offered me a part in um, Dublin Crust. And then also in the meantime, you know, he has quite a big cast involved. So, um, cast of thousands, costumes, yeah. CGI, so, big budget, big bang for book. Uh, and no I would have helped him cast some of those roles. I think at least three so far have made suggestions. Those people have taken Excellent. and they've got the role based on their tape, not just because I said it. So, yeah. Um, yeah so I'm actively involved in that and will be thrown whatever experience I have in networking into that because. Um, You're you vested, know, which is great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's it's like all the little parts, you know. I I want I want to be good as well. I mean, there's nothing worse than being in a feature, not to mind a short, where you go and see the end product and you say, if only they had done this. Yeah. Why couldn't they have got a location here? But what happened is, in a lot of those cases, it was the director's vision to make his or her short and or feature they may have written it that may have been the driving thing but they didn't have all the other skills and they didn't get enough of the right people on board for free or for deferred payment or for a small payment or whatever it's brilliant jerry it's it's no i think it's because we're late bloomers late starters and you're Mm. entering and we're well george not he's in he's there for 30 years i i've been we're entering from a different (laughs) field of let's say business and process and planning and and you're even though you're there under the one role of actor, you're noticing all this other, you're, bus- you're bringing your business acumen of 30 years of experience of other types of functions that relate to what's going on in the project at hand. And you're noticing where you could have got a bit more bang for book. You could have saved a bit of cost over there. You could you could leverage this and do that. And, and a process or automate the other. And 
therefore, that's why you cannot, I think you can nearly not help yourself move from actor into the production sphere because you can see where you can make a difference and bring more value. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is a bit like the, the, the work that I want to do is I want to do the best quality work I can do, but I also want to do that if I'm not fine. Like, for instance, I got a role um, last October in Valhalla, the follow-on to Vikings. It'll be screened, I suppose, February, March. Um, and the Bishop of London. I was probably not supposed to even say that. I think I, I signed a 30-page non-disclosure agreement. But anyway, so I got my Don't day. Don't worry, we, our audience in the billions won't even mention yeah. it. So you I know. got my day on set in October, and then it's go back yeah. in June of this year for another scene as well. But, you know, if if you're not lucky enough to get cast in something where all, all that's already in place. Um, another great project that was involved in last year, um, it was a short film called Acheron. And the uh, director, Tommy Cray, who had won an award for a previous short film, Land of Winter, um, he approached myself and he said, I'm going to do this double-handed uh, short film. And what I'd like to do for a change, he says, I want to develop it with the two actors. So this was early last year, just before COVID, but as it happened. So myself, Killian, the other actor, and Tommy had various Zoom calls and we do a read through. And then Killian in particular would make suggestions. Tommy would make them. And they kept refining the script and refining the script. So we, we ended up shooting it in September. So we actually had rehearsals beforehand, which is extremely rare. Um, and then one of the locations we were using for the outdoor shoot was at the Broadmeadow Estuary in Malahide. So there's going to be a full day of like four different parts along that estuary. And I said, OK, well, we're going to go out and we're going to walk through the whole thing and do all that so we're not arriving on the day and spend, you know, two hours yeah. at one place and we've already an hour and a half behind. Anyway, long story short, it's got a festival run recently. Its next stop is the Richard Harris Film Festival. But it was also Tommy picked up Best Director Award in Birmingham for it. And I was nominated for Best Actor Award in October at the Dublin International Short Film and Music Festival. And okay. I got the award, which is my first your that first Oscar. To, Brilliant. That was all you know, the... to do with what we put in beforehand. They wouldn't yeah, have happened. Yeah. And I was being me. I was being this other character's father. He's a playwright. I think he should get a proper job. You know, staying in bed until 11 o'clock is just not on. So, you know. That's, Brilliant. That's the yeah, direction. So well, the, the, yeah, sorry. I was just thinking there that uh, one of the things that uh, I, I was learning from this counselling course was that I've been doing uh was basically when she get inside the head of the other person and start to work with them which is what you're doing with that that little jaunt along the the riverbank or whatever um was basically you're actually discovering what the character's wants and needs are and i know that in one of the movies i did we, we had the the cast all together and we basically i actually talked to the characters not the cast if that makes sense yeah. Yeah, because I wanted to know how do they feel about the situations they were finding themselves within the story, and that kind of worked through and helped to build up the characters mm. when we went to actually do the shoot, which I think is a, is a fabulous way of kind of working with things. You know, so what, what's your next project? What personal project as opposed to the commercial side of things? Um, personal projects. Well, the, the big one will be Dublin Crust. I mean, things evolve all the time. I mean, like Friday morning, I got a call. You know could I come down and do a demo tape for, um, you know, an upcoming TV drama, just a few lines for particular things. Have you got an age? I mean, there's an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. I do. I got a call as opposed to 
you're sending 50, 50 voiceovers out there and nobody's ringing. No one's ringing back. They're, they're inundated with 50 million people in the queue. You got yeah. a call. Now, that's based on 40 shorts just gone in. You recognize your names out there or your talent. But I mean, how does it feel when you don't get a call or how many calls are you not getting in terms of how many feelers you put out? Uh, well, in terms of voiceover work, I mean, that's kind of um, an avenue I went down myself. And in particular, the the guy who gave me the call is Killian Fitzgerald, who runs Avatar post-production. And aside from being, you know, a, a virtually a neighbor of mine down the road here, um, I had worked... Comes in handy, that network yeah, overhead. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> well, I only met him a few years ago. You know, we have a connection through sailing as well. We're both members in Greystone Sailing Club. Ah, you right pulled him out of the waters in that Viking wig in <laughs> Valhalla. Yes. Yeah, well, well, what happened was I, I had actually... Uh, done some character voices for the Irish Revolution TV series. So um, Killian oh, yes. actually had recorded that. Uh, we were in Highwire Studio in town. Um, so any opportunity, in fairness to him, if he thinks I can do it, um, you know, he'll give me a shout. So, And likewise, um, speaking of Baz Black, um, Baz had a short film called Mero, which picked up a lot of awards, you know. I did the narration on that, and we recorded down in Killian's studio. So... You know, I got Killian the job, Baz got me to do it, and you yeah. know, so on. And I so don't, forth. in some ways, I like what's going on, in other ways, I'm going, How do I get a job? Everyone else is on the outside of this loop. They're all feed, it's a feeding fan frenzy of keep it inside the loop, keep it inside a network. But well, at the same time, it, it, that's I what we're saying think, out there. Actually, get the network it, to it, get it's not a, and it's, it's an exclusive thing. It's, it's you know, yeah, it's, no, no. It's oh, that sounds late. very exclusive to me over the hedge yeah. down the sailing club. Yo, no, you have to bring your find, own Viking helmet. No. Yeah, you find the connections that basically bring the top. Bring the top. You know, I think that's well. You know, one one thing leads to another. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, the reason I ended up, you know, working for a few weeks here and there in 2016 and 17 as part of the Marine crew and Vikings was because I am a sailing instructor as well. Yeah. So yeah. all those people that are, you know, recruited by the Marine coordinator to do that work either are sailing instructors or they work in the lifeboat or they have some... I wasn't listening, sorry, is that Holt or is that the Dunleary one or Malahoy or which, which sailing club is that? Yeah, the one I'm in is in Greystones. Can't you wait Greystones, I, I don't... But I, I, also, have... I also teach sailing and I do that in Dunleary. So, ah, you know, Dunleary. you have to have a couple Very of irons in the fire, so... You know. Well, I think that that's the key thing we've been saying to a lot of uh, people, especially students, is that when they they, they get their passion, you, you kind of have to say to them, well, you, but you need to generate an income to sustain yourself. And some of the guests that we've had like, have been builders and they've been able to pick up the, yeah. the skills that they did in building. They've been able to transfer to the filmmaking process, which I think is, is working really well. Now, you had we during the conversation there, uh, Garvin asked you the question, did you have an agent? And you did say yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit more about how that helps you with your career, having an agent. And how difficult was it getting an agent? Um, it is very difficult because, I mean, there are, you know, I, I had no idea. I, I thought, you know, actor numbers were probably in the low hundreds. But it's only when you look through Facebook groups, you know, whether they're Film Network Ireland or any of them, and you realize, you know, the amount of people there are. I mean, the amount of actors are actually thousands. Um, yeah. But there's only, there's probably less than 20 active agents in Ireland because up to more recently, especially with film work, I mean, the work is just not there. Um, oh, yeah, what I did was I, you know, I was lucky enough, I got a showreel together quick enough because of my filmmaking thing and uh, got a CV, sent it out. 
Um, had no luck for about six months. Met one particular agent. He's going to take me on. And then he realized, no, it wasn't going to work. Um, he, he specializes in Gavin's career modeling, actually. But anyway, um, so Annette Ross. Well, give him my number. Yeah, I'll be back. Um, and Annette, <laughs> he talked um, you were a bit taller. He, told, he mistook you for me. That's what it was. That was it. I, I forgot to wear the platforms when I was going in. Um, but anyway, I got an agent. So the difference, I suppose, is that you get to hear about um, a lot of the jobs that don't necessarily get put up there, say on Fish Pond or things like that. So if there is an upcoming TV drama and they're looking for, say, they've cast the main roles, so they're looking for all the minor roles after that, hmm. and you'll hear about it, you'll get the opportunity to self-tape. So if you're unrepresented, you, you don't get access to that info unless they throw it out deliberately into the public domain or onto, you know, some other platform that actors use. So you do get that kind of um, head start. I know in my own case, um, you know, the agent, Annette, I mean, she's always looking through Spotlight as well. And if there's something that requires Irish people or maybe getting shot here, she'll, you know, pop us through for that. I mean- No, that's you know, an interesting thing right there. I'm going to jump in. <clears throat> Irish people. So mm-hmm. you, you do the voiceovers. Can you do the American accent, the Australian accent? Are you an Irish person, Caucasian, Irish Paddy? That, that's what you're going to be typecast as. Or I know you said you're going to be on this other program that sounds a bit English. Is it, do you have to, can you neutralize to an American accent to get more parts? Yeah, well, what you do is, I mean, um, in terms of accents, um, you, you'd see they might look for what's called like a general American accent or a standard English accent. And, you, you know, you can go on a course, you know, you can, there's a great voice coach called Jerry Grinnell who runs courses at Bow Street and that will give you what's required. So if an American production is coming over here and they want a taxi driver, but you have to have a general American accent, uh, you need to nail that so that you're believable. It doesn't have to be a Bronx accent. It doesn't have to be from Pennsylvania or whatever. It's just general American. So in other words, as you are delivering those couple of lines. You don't throw in a couple of Irish vowel sounds in there that gives the game away. Um, yeah, because yeah, we, we, we had that problem that uh, we had an American character in one of the films I made. And uh, we got somebody from Dundalk who was from New York to voice over the you know, ADR, the character. But yeah. none of the Americans believed it because he'd been here so long. He had the Irish twang to his American accent, and that was the problem that we had. Yeah, and that's that was a comment that came back from America. So yeah, you know, it's 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 how do you get rid of the Irish twang if you're trying to uh, put on American accent? Well, it's not that you get rid of it, but we, you you substitute like you know um, instead of like if if we're if we're kind of sorry, you know, ask if I say M, I'm thinking like the thinking fell in Irish, it's M. In America, you know, it's um. You know, uh, in England is um, you know, it's as simple as that, but just that kind of neutral vowel. And, yeah. you know, um, and I think on Sesame Street, it's manamana, you know, do, 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 you know, so <laughs> 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 can't help myself, can't help myself, Jerry. No, the great thing is, I've heard you're invested. See, that's the thing, it's you're asked, people have to invest in themselves. If they want to put the right voice in for the pitch or the reel, they nearly have to get the voice coach for a couple of hours. That could be, I don't know, a hundred quid, like to get that even two lines in, or mm-hmm. or there's no point in putting in the pitch. Yeah. You know, if you nearly know it's a no before you start, 
because you have you have the Irishism versus the Americanism. You do you you're you've invested in yourself. You, I heard all the courses, all the study, all the rest. Do you feel there's enough of people out there that aren't investing in themselves enough and expect it's unrealistic expectations, maybe? Um, yeah, I, I think if you're starting out, it doesn't matter what age you are, but if you're emerging along the way, um, you know, you need to get either on stage or on set experience, but you also need to train. Um, you know, it doesn't mean that you have to go and do, you know, full time two year drama course. Um, you know, in a fancy college, but you do need to invest in training. And like a mantra that I would have also is, you know, I believe in lifelong learning. I, I didn't go to university, which was not uncommon. When I left school, probably only a third of the, the year would. There was no no necessity for we all. Sorry, sorry, to, Jerry, that was me. I, I, I went I, to that job. every room yeah. to stay in university. My grandparents were sitting beside the fire going, how many years are you in there? Now? When are you going to go to work? I was like seven, eight years in university. I kept on doing more courses because right. I said, outside of university was work and responsibility. So I kept on going back. So I was I was the third, I think it's T-U-R-D as opposed to the T-H-I-R-D, you know, that went to university. But you did the better route, in my opinion. You went to real life work. And I, I didn't know what to do when I got out of university. <laughs> Still but, don't. But funny so, enough, when I did leave school, I, I ended up sort of doing lots of courses, like between, I worked, um, you know, telecoms, um, technician so i had to go and do all those city and guilds exams then yeah. at one stage i decided i wanted to be you know get out of where i was and be a manager so you know i did a course a degree with the ipa institute of public administration and public management and you know i, I learned to become a sailing instructor when i was age 50 for instance i knew how to sail and um, i want to be able to teach other people but i also wanted the qualifications so i think if you're an actor and you think you, you're starting off and you think, that's great. I'll just be, you know, Mr. Macho Man, action. I can do karate and whatever. Um, Hence Vikings. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but, but if you want to get cast in an American show, you know, you know, unless you can do, you know, a sound American accent for a start, that's yeah. aside from any other acting skills. And um, yeah, I, I've come across a lot of people, you know, along the way and you know you can say mm, their attitude right they are not going to progress much beyond this level it's something to do with comparing them to me i'm just looking at them and saying um no they're not open, someone else they're not open enough to um you know improving their skill yeah. you know getting techniques working with people who teach them something um so that's the level they're going to be at whereas in my case i want to achieve as high as i can yeah. um you know, I know I have a potential to do so, but, and then again, like it's such a strange thing acting. I mean, you're putting yourself up to be shot down. I mean, even when we used to go for auditions directly, oh, holy God. It's not me this time, Gavin, it's not me. Well, it wasn't me. Oh, yeah, I thought I had that on silent. And I know looking at that number, that's one of these stupid um, prank call things, you know, where they oh, yeah. put up an Irish mobile number and it's... Um, oh. That's it. That Nigerian prince again, and he's got their gold. He wants yeah, to give yeah, it to you. I know. I love the joke though, where they have this guy and he's in a room full of gold and jewels, and he's going, "I can't give it away. No one will take my call. Or, I mean, I won't even take a call from the bank anymore. The real oh, bank. I, I don't know. Don't believe you. <laughs> that's it. It's, it's the that's problem. the fear out there. No, I mean, no. The, there's a scam at the moment. That Bank of Ireland. Their texts are coming in on your own. The one from them was the one before in the text stream. Yeah. The next one is looking for your details. And I know 
older people are going to look at it and they're going to press the button because the last one was okay and the next one isn't. It, there's fear out there. No, it's also a fear of being you know, done. You know, I, I'm afraid to be an actor. You know, that's one thing, like, over the years, I'd love to be on, not, I don't say stage, because I, I wouldn't like to be in front of people in a stage, put myself out there for the hecklers. But in a controlled environment that you can do it, do it again, maybe I could be weaned in somehow. But I, like you said, I have unrealistic expectations. I think I'm going to I, I think you just have to jump into the deep end. But I, I, might get, I might get on I one of those. I think that's what to, you have to do. <laughs> I think with your connections, I might be in the background of the next 50 shorts somewhere, you know, you know, be your mind. Yeah. Hey, who'll be the pillar that stands now, in there the problem, on the Roman The problem you're going to have is I won't be in view because all the panning of the cameras will have to be panning along and then jump up and go down because everyone else is about five foot five to five ten. I'm six foot six. So if I'm not sitting down in a pub scene, you're going to be in trouble. Or I could be a big Viking. I don't know. Hmm. I, I think I actually I'm, I'm actually aspiring now because I saw you with the beard and the hair. I go, I need to go to Valhalla. I need to be on Vikings only to get the wig and the hairdo. Oh, yeah. Because I miss it. Free wig. (laughs) Sure, why wouldn't you? (laughs) Now, there's a great one out there called Quiff & Co. where you get this full quiff. And I think it's American. You can get the older. They can give you a brand new set of hair. And I'm going, would that make... No, there's the thing. Would it make you a different person? If you had a bunch of hair there, are you younger all of a sudden? Are, do you feel more empowered? Do you do you see what is is in this bolt? You know, you get the, the, the liquid you put in your head. It's a, you know, make your hair. No, grow. It doesn't work that Can way. Can you there, see Garmin. the draw? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what works. Actually, um, is a great costume. And yeah. a uniform is a thing that you know. I actually look quite well in a military uniform. Pretty impressive looking here. Yeah. You know, but well, that's the thing—you get the opportunity to get you know to something you wouldn't do for yourself. It's like you yeah. can't put a uniform on just unless it's fucking Halloween or fancy dress. But yeah. you get—you're going to be a, as you said, part of a. I don't know whether we should mention it again, but you could be a bishop. You could be a. You could be something else. But that's full regatta. Reg- oh, you're, you're, you're there in full purple or red. I don't know what the color is, and you're going. That's, that was a position of power. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably um, gold at the moment, and, and it's soon it's going to be green again. No, it's, it's going, going back to Renaissance time. or Reformation yeah. time. Actually, it's purple more. at the moment. It's purple, purple at the moment. Purple and red. Yeah, purple yeah. because we're in Advent. Well, I, I think that's the thing. You know, go back to the you know, particularly in short films, because people who you know act uh, for screen, like the red and butter stuff, the 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 things that you can do to practice your craft without you know getting paid for it. You know, the things that you want to do to you know add to your show reel. Um, you know, one of one of the areas that certainly lets down a production like and people often don't think of it, you know, you need to get somebody if they're not a qualified, uh, you know, hairdresser, art director, you need to get yeah, somebody who does an interest designer. Yeah. Production designer. So, you know, in terms of just the props and the costumes, um, all of that little detail just adds so much to what's going on, you know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's no point in four people turning up in who've brought their own costume and someone else just just not blending in there at all just it's like ah you know they're like they're in a different film because there's nobody there to say otherwise and sometimes you know you have your emerging director cinematographer and they're just so concerned with setting up this hold on there now a minute and look at this here and the dog could be there beside me and you know that yeah you know, it's all about all oh, the light. Oh, Jesus, there's a bit of flare there. Hold on now. Oh, could we have a light over here? 
And the whole purpose... I'm already going to get on with it. Going, it's this indie production. You're going, great, if that's, as I said, the art and the director and they want... If you're in indie production, you're, you're nearly slapping him in the head and pushing about there going, there's no time for any of that. We, we, we need to be three scenes well, already I, I, in the I last do 15 think minutes. We've actually discussed that, Gavin, that basically those mm. concepts, you know, is, are, are actually as important as everything else. Oh, no, production design, yes. Have, yeah. Because what we, I mean, it's the color scheme of things. So if you like, you yeah. know, if you're going to have a, a, a bookshelf in the background, maybe if you've got all red books in there or something, there's something being there's a message that's being put across, which it becomes important. Yeah. Then, the, then, the, then the likes of the uh, light shade needs to be red as well, and the curtains. Need, you know, there's a there's a color blend that you're looking at. Are you trying to create a boudoir behind poor Jerry here now? Yeah, all I'm the red using, books, I'm, the I'm red light shade. His, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> No, we, I, I've been looking at a lot of films and uh, I've been looking at the color tone of, of different scenes. Like there's some scenes, everything's yellow. You've got the yellow taxis. Suddenly the girl walking across screen is wearing a, a yellow dress. And, you know, there's this yellow book. There's, there's a theme that is, is actually thought through depending on what the, what the emotion is that they're trying to put through on the film. And you do notice those as an audience, but when everything's higgledy piggledy, can I go? Well, no one actually thought about that. And what about the rest of it? No, you know? I'm wondering, George, do you do you notice it as an audience, or do you notice it because you're in the film industry and you notice the work that went and the effort and the well, background? I, 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 I'm hearing from other family members that wouldn't be exposed to me so much uh, saying about these comments. So they do notice and they do pick up on it, and I think is an important part of that kind of process. It is. And it, it's it's subliminal as well, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't realise it. Like, there was a great programme on Sky Atlantic. I think it was called Unforgotten, a series with Nicole Kidman and uh, Hugh Grant. But, I am, um, you know, the production value on anything that's there is excellent. But I remember, like, it's set in New York City, Manhattan or whatever. And you got a lot of these shots uh, where it looks like it's maybe up, you know, six or seven storeys up. And the main character Nicole she's coming out of the school now everybody is you know half nine in the morning or whatever it is everybody is wearing any shade of black you know black puffer jackets black overclothes black suits black this and in every scene that she's in she's wearing like this long crushed velvet coat that is kind of like an avocado color or it's another one she was wearing was like a rust brown mm. and it doesn't matter if the shot is in Central Park and she's going for a walk chatting to whoever it is, because she's wondering, did her husband actually have this affair or murder that man or whatever? It just stands out. And I said, that's brilliant. Like that, yeah. they didn't they didn't go into a shop and buy that coat. They had to make that because this was whatever the designer decided. This is how we get her to stand out in particular. And it was really- Actually, I remember, I think I saw that program. And I remember the one thing I do remember about it is mm. all the coats she was, she was wearing, these fabulous long coats. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Which makes her look very tall, you know, as that's, well. That's yeah. it. Now, now, how the hell did Nicole Kidman get into this episode? I don't even know. No. But And even you, Grant, another one of my sort of lookalikes, I know when he's a bit younger. <laughs> but but now where we're at now is, the strange thing is- I Did, did you look like Nicole Kidman at one point then? Because that comment you no, just I, now no, made that's, that's my alter that ego, point, George. My like alter Nicole ego Coleman. is Nicole. <laughs> you know, I can, I, I'm a bit of a kid man, all right. You know, but, yeah. but actually, that's exactly what I am. I'm a child man. 
you know, I mean, I never grew up. I, I mean, I'm stuck in the Peter Pan syndrome. I'm immature. I'm reckless. I, I, I put into conversations. I don't give you any airtime, but that's me. And you just have to put up with it. George will edit out afterwards and post. But <laughs> as, as we say, but Jerry, I'm coming back to Dublin Crust because I'm curious now as, and you might, you may not let it slip out or otherwise, are you going to be in the band or are you in the background? Do you have a main part or just eternal? You're just there. Or are you in the production team as well? Uh, you're in front no. of the camera, behind the camera, you're freaking everywhere. You're the uh, elusive Pimpernel. Primarily, my role is a character called Ian, and I'm um, a record company. Ah, he's the producer. So I, I'm actually Scottish <laughs> in this, and I come over, you know, for this reunion gig that's going to take place. And my regret is that I didn't sign this band when they were on the cusp of being something. So I'm coming back, maybe to see if some deal could be done again. So very reminiscent, know. very very reminiscent of the commitments there, Terry. It is, yeah. There, there, it's it's sort of commitments, you know, combined with train spotting train and spotting. various exactly. other things. Yeah, um, but it is, yeah, it is a music. It's a good feel thing. It's a, it's a, It's a, not a musical though. Is it? A, it's going to be a good soundtrack. It's not that. Oh, or yeah. is it a musical-ish yeah. in the sense of the band to be playing their stuff? Well, without giving too many yeah, details I mean, away, it's it's probably. Have you seen yesterday? The the that's excellent. Uh, the, yeah, about yeah. the guy to do with who, who suddenly wakes up and nobody can remember the Beatles, Beatles music except for him. Except him. Yeah, it's actually yeah, that's it's absolutely yeah. brilliant. You know, uh, but that that's not. I mean, technically, that's not a musical because it's not done in a musical style. It's just that somebody's gigging using that music, and you get to hear it and laugh about it. You know, which I think is is really quite quite good. Um, and, and again, looking at that film, we were talking about the production design a short time ago. You can see that that production design through that. So I'm, I'm just conscious that I know that uh, Baz didn't talk too much about the production, so we don't want to give too much. We wouldn't let him. <laughs> that was the whole point. <laughs> no, no, I, I think he didn't. I, I think I think we also have to be careful as well for the same kind of reason. So that, that, that's quite. But uh, I mean, I, are you? You didn't get to say, are you involved in the production side of that or are you not involved in the production side of that? Uh, in, in, in a minor way, but I am I am down there. In the, I will be in the production credits. As I said, I've been helping with casting some of the roles because I've actually met quite a lot of actors in the last few years. Yeah. So um, I did assist to cast three of those roles. But anything else, you know, from my own um, filmmaking experience that I can bring, I will, because everything aside from, you know, people... Um, you know, given money to fund, you know, the as particularly as you know, the post production yeah. costs are the the ones that you really want to hit with this one. Um, oh yeah, I, I'll I'll be doing whatever I can, talking to whoever, you know, um, beg, steal, borrow on behalf of this because I I don't want this to end up in one of those things. Ah, uh, you know, it would have been great if. It could have been, yeah. would have been, should yeah. have been. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and I, think, no, I think that's really good when you've got uh, the collaboration between like-minded people, st- yeah. because I know that from a, uh, from doing a couple of projects myself, if you don't have the support of others around you to keep you, especially through the editing process, because most people enjoy the fun of being on set, uh, which for about four weeks or three days, depending on which member of the cast you're in. Um, but when it comes to the edit, that could be several years not because you know especially if you're in a low budget uh, sort of production because the only time you can fit it in is occasionally here and there and you've got to keep sustain yourself through that process to actually believe in the film that you're actually working on 
Uh, now I'm saying that as with experience of having a 12 year old film that I'm still trying to finish uh, yeah. because of life has intervened in the middle of it. And I had another film come in that was like, uh, I call it the cuckoo film that basically robbed my time. I was putting into this other film uh, and in, in the end didn't go where I wanted it to go, which was very kind of frustrating because it, it went in slightly different. So you have those things turning around and hitting you. One of the things I'm interested in is you were saying that in, in 2016, you suddenly took up full-time acting. Mm. What gave you the, the sense of, right, I, this, I'm now at that point. What, what changed your mind from what you were doing or what opportunities arose to, to give you that sense that this is where the journey I want to go on? Well, it, it, it wasn't planned to happen then, really. What happened was, I, I said, when I left school, I ended up working as a telecoms technician. And then I started up a part-time business, maybe in the 90s, the vending machines. That became a full-time business for uh, at least a decade. And then I kind of exited out of that, sold what, you know, I could to a competitor who'd always been asking me, listen, can I buy your sites? And I was kind of in between, like, this is summer 2015. What am I going to do? So, you know, I was still doing bits of work, like sailing instructor and various other bits. Then in 2016, like I would do anything, for instance, that um, I could to earn a living. But um, I ended up thinking about, you know, I wouldn't mind doing acting again, but I didn't say right now, this minute I'm going to do it. But in 2015, I went and I did a self-taping course in Bow Street because uh, somebody had said to me, you know, if you want to go on screen, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And um, so I did that. And from then um, into 2016, then my first short that I did was student short in May, I think, 2016. And then as I got that and a few other bits, then I started looking for an agent. And then I decided this is what I'm doing. And at the time now, I didn't announce at home that this is really what I'm doing. I was kind of looking for other work and other opportunities, but um, I wasn't, you know, so eventually. It's like you telling my wife, no, no, yeah, no I'm not no. just sitting here talking in a room. I'm yeah. networking. I, but no, yeah. no, no. She said, can you go out and make a film someone sometime in the next two years, please? You yeah. know, so, and then we might believe you. But so no, the great thing about, I'm hearing, you, you got the bug and not the one we know we're talking about these days. Yeah. You've been hooked. You're 40, 50 in now of shorts. Actually, you're about to make the feature jump. You know, in the sense of the big, you know, yeah. it, that that's what we're hearing. You you you've, you'll do shorts all day long because it's nice to be involved and nice to get back. Yeah, the pay won't be, I'm sure, as great as as a bigger something else. But you know, on recognition now again, you're in the shorts. If they get their awards, there's a chance of different recognition there. But are you are you aspiring to have a, a part in it and repeat it's something? Do you want to be on EastEnders? Are you aspiring to have a part that you know? Is on a, in a big, big blockbuster or something, but it's it's more than a couple of lines. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the whole. There is a progression as an actor. I mean, you, you know, you you you're not going to be even if you look the part and sound the part. Like, um, if there's a major, like, say you take any of the major TV dramas that were there recently, say like Kin, for instance, and Aidan Gillen had you know major role in that, so. If I'm in, in that same category age-wise as him or Kieran Hines, yeah. if I haven't been in something where I've progressed along and I have maybe a significant part in one episode in something or had a role where I've been, you know, the police inspector who could have been in four of these episodes yes. and actually had an interesting story to go with it, 
you know, no one's no one be in the commercial world is going to take a chance on me um, and entrust me with a, a main role like that. And the thing becomes a commercial flop. I mean, as you know yourself in the business, the reason, um, you know, every production when they're getting money, they have to have a name or two. So, mm. you know, someone who's been in Game of Thrones, Peaky Blinders, blah, de, blah, well, they're going to be marketable to the money people who are going to say, well, there's a better chance that we can sell this on to whoever are in what sort of streaming platform. You'll get your money back, blah, de, blah, and they'll all be happy. So, but I have ambitions to be do, doing that. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the reason I'm doing this, you know. I'm going to let you know, I joined Movie Extras there about two years ago. I didn't join. I went myself and the young lad went up, got the photographs taken. We paid the 100 quid, whatever the heck it was. He promised us yeah. some work. Never heard. COVID kicked in. and yep. But that was the end of it. Now, except for one little email says, oh, you're being picked. Would you? No, no. I was going, brilliant. Jeez, I haven't done anything. They're sending me out. I've got a part. No, I didn't get a part. They're just saying they're going to use my ugly... Is it okay to use my ugly mugshot for a mugshot on the detective board in the background? So I got 50 quid. I think I could have been a mass murderer or something on a board, <laughs> probably in Ken, in the background. That's as close yeah. as I got. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I've been there too. Well, actually, speaking of mugshots, um, you know, I think Dublin Crust will be like independent feature number 10 that I'd be involved in. And because as... Uh, George even said, I mean, there's, um, I'd say most of these feature films that I've been in so far, and they've been served from 2018, maybe 2019, like half of them are still in post-production because they are being funded slowly and bit by yeah. bit. One of them actually had a small role. It's a very, it was a very big production, but it, it ran into financial problems. But anyway, I can't go there. Um, but recently we did um, have a screening of a, a feature film called Dredges, which is a Dublin crime thing. And myself, another actor, George Bracebridge, who's also baldy-headed, uh, we were two old-school criminals. Um, um, so you never know. With a bit of luck, that might get a bit of mileage somewhere and, you know, get seen. So, oh, yeah, he could fit that role. Yeah, well, too. I'm also hearing, Jerry, is there's a, you did about 20 or 30 films. 15 of them could be stuck in post on the base of what happened in the meantime. And they could all come out at the same time, roughly about 16 months from now. And you're fecking everywhere. I won't be able to look anywhere without seeing your ugly mug because you'll be in everything going from here till Christmas. Well, you know, speaking of network, the, the annoying thing right now because of COVID is that a lot of film festivals have been online. You know, they haven't yeah. taken place. And one of them that was supposed to take place in October is the Richard Harris Film Festival down in Limerick. Um, now, it is going to be online, but I don't know when. I thought it was going to be in November. But as it happens, there's two feature films uh, and two short films that I have parts in that are going to be in that. So that would be the absolute perfect opportunity for me to go down and meet people. And yeah. by the time it's on next year, you know, I possibly won't even be in anything to select it next year, you know. <laughs> so um, the whole thing about networking and talking to people, I mean, you know, that's that's how you get along yeah. acting-wise and pro producer-wise as well, because you meet some like-minded people and they chat to you and then someone emails you, you know, six months later, actually, I'm doing this thing. I wonder, would you play this part? And you say, yeah. great. Um, and that's happened to me a couple of times. I mean, you know without having to audition, someone says, okay, you look the part, 
from from the producing perspective, are you being asked to produce in the sense of organize things and set things up, or are you being asked to find money for projects? Uh, primarily, it's the organizing and setting things up because you know pitching for funding to Screen Ireland and things like that. That's that is not my skill set right now, but yeah. ultimately, with a few projects that get off the ground, my name attached to them. And again, when I talk to the right people who know more than I do and I can learn off them, well, that will be the step. But, you know, right now it's a bit like I said with the acting thing, there's no point in you just you, you can aim high, but you just can't pitch yourself up at a, yeah. a certain level where you're not going to be considered. So you need to, whether it's your showreel, a portfolio of work, whatever it is, you need to build that up. And that's where the journey is going right now. now I'm going to argue a little bit in the sense that sometimes that's, yeah, it does work that way. And people put themselves in the box that they say, well, I'm, I'm here, I'm not there. Where actually, if you have the little bit of attitude, the LPMA, you go, no, 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 I'm, be, I'm going to pitch beyond that. And I'm going to aim for the stars, hit the bloody moon. I, and someone's going to get it and see through it. Now, it might be you haven't got a skill set, but you can get it. You can do a bit of training. But if you're not asking, you're not receiving. So sometimes that crowd is smaller because actually it's like putting your CV out to a job. I read some business like job specs and I go, that's not me. And it turns out it was my job spec. <clears throat> they actually, it's, you've got to go beyond the main, you've got to pitch beyond you can't if you put yourself in the in the pool where everybody is, then you're that's who you're competing against. So I think that's what we've done. We've stepped out. We're going. We're not asking permission. We're making our own show. We're just going to go out and bloody well do it. We're going to hopefully learn and grow as we go. But and when we get there, we'll we'll be at a different level from the get go. Yeah, I, th I think you do have to realize though, from the perspective that we are actually still following that same curve, even though we're doing what we're doing. We've, we've, you know, I think everybody here has basically decided, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to follow what I'm told to do because I, I was thinking about this earlier on today. And I, even when I was at film school that we're, we're all being led that we have to do as we're told, we have to go through the system. We have to do this, that, and the other. Um, and quite often that you get caught into that and we've actually rebelled against that more recently, but it's taken that experience of being in there, that long hole, to suddenly realize, well, actually, you know, what do we need to do that's a bit different so we can get out there and meet other people and start to do the things? Um, because in what we're doing at the moment, it isn't that we're not following a unique line. We're actually doing something that other people have. And we just want to make sure that it's a successful way of achieving what we need to achieve and build that confidence as we're going along. We do need the attitude that we're getting uh, because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't, you'd, you'd fold very quickly. But it is a case of just pushing forward and saying, well, I can do this. So I'm going to help you do X, Y and Z. And once we've done that, we'll build and do something else. It's setting those structures in place so that you can actually achieve the goals that you want to achieve. And I think that's the important part. Actually, of the, like you touched on something there, George. Now, again, it's probably a mental health issue sort of type territory yeah. in a sense. Jerry, you're going, it's like you said at the very beginning of the show. We're putting ourselves up there on the stage. You, yeah, And it can be open to ridicule or anything else and it could be self-confidence and you need affirmation from others to be confident do you think it's a very very you need to be very very strong or it can be it's not for the frail and a weak of heart what you're doing um yeah you 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 you've got to be brave um and some you know i think what drives you is that you know the people who are successful in everything in life are the people who come across as really confident you know i mean they can walk into a room doesn't matter what's going on and they command the space. 
Okay, so I'm not one of those people by nature. Most of us aren't. So uh, you have to overcome. It's a fear. But if you really want to do something, whatever it is, say you want to become the basketball player, but you were afraid of talking to coaches or other players, you were really intimidated, but you had the skill, you would have to walk into a room, into a hall to put yourself up for a trial. Whereas, you know, that would be the focus of attention would be in you. And if you were a shy person, you would be, you know, going red in the face and ultimately uh, petrified. And it would be much easier to walk away, go home to your house, tell your mother, I know they changed the day of the trials. It's next week because you were afraid to go in the door. So um, I think, you know, you if you've got to have ambition, you have to be brave because, you know, you're going outside your comfort zone. My comfort zone is I could spend the rest of my life just floating around making short films and, you know, having a part-time job to pay the bills and doing that. But no, I, you know, I want to reach the maximum potential that I have. And I know I do have a certain, I'm lucky enough that I have that kind of skill as an actor. You know, I'm not someone who can sit at the piano and play by ear. I don't have that. I can't pick up a guitar. You know, there's lots of things I can't do, but I know acting is something that I can do. And with plenty of practice and the right opportunity, I can do it well. So um, that's where I push myself. Now, there's an interesting thing. I don't, I'm trying to remember the beginning of the conversation. Were you an actor at the beginning and you stopped and went off to work for 30 years and you came back to what your passion was and is? Like, you were always an actor. We George talks about the I am. You're, if you're an actor now, you always were. It's just yeah. you've given yourself permission now to actually pursue it because you feel yeah. more confident to do it. Or do you think, I'm just wondering, did you put it off for 30 years because you were afraid of it and now you're confident to move ahead? Um, a very practical thing I in between the time I went and studied drama school um, I went working away got a mortgage got married life yeah and yeah. then what happened I also had a interesting there's two things just so I'll come back to them I remember at one stage when I was in the Brendan Smith Theatre Academy and we put on a show in what used to be then the John Player Theatre and um my mother and father came along to see it. And a day or two later, my father says to me, well, you weren't much use. I was kind of taken aback by this. But it, it, what of course was, my mother explained to me maybe a couple of years later, no, your father didn't want you to give up your good paid pensionable job. And that's why he said you were no good. But um, I remember going for an audition. Uh, well, two things happened. I or T were looking for some radio players back around then. This was kind of late 80s. And... Um, I managed to send in my cassette tape, which I did. I got called for an audition, got shortlisted, but they only took on two people, Connor Mullen and Anne-Marie Horan. But um, if I got that job, I would have been straight in there um, as a full-time actor. But then I also went for an audition around that time. Roddy Doyle had a play called Brown Bread. Um, Paul Mercer directed, went up to the SFX Hall as it was, auditioned, didn't get the part. He wrote me a lovely letter, which I still kept. Um, and that was it. I kind of decided, you know, I can't exist just doing this. I wouldn't have been let. I would, you know, um, Rosemary, my wife, would not have let me anyway give up everything. So I literally had to put it. The practical nature of it was yes. if I was single, living in a flat, didn't give a shit, you know, I probably could have pursued it. But, you know, something I think I probably would have given it up. Like a lot of my contemporaries at the time ultimately moved on to do something else. I mean, one of them is now 
a presenter of the arts program and RT, Sean Rocks. We trained together back in the College of Music. He had quite a career in the Gate and the Abbey, but he probably found, well, I'm not getting paid 52 weeks of the year doing this. And, um, you know, he went off a slightly different direction. Um, but I think I'm probably enjoying it more now. And my voice is going here a bit. See, I let you speak. That's the problem. No, I will actually, kept your voice. Actually, <laughs> actually no, no, no. All right. Well, look, folks, we've reached that point now in the show where we have to wrap up. Unfortunately, we've been going on for quite some time. It's been a, a, an amazing session that we've been talking to somebody else, Jerry here, who has had a similar sort of lifestyle to what we've had. We've had to go ahead and pay the bills. And now we've got to a certain point in life where those dreams and ambitions that we've had, we can now enact and make become reality for ourselves because we've done that we've done the, the responsible thing but now we can see this little part of life will allow us to do those things that we wanted to do the other great thing that we've also encountered is that uh, jerry is talking about and i know that we myself and Gavin have also done this in our lives is this continuous lifelong education aspect which is really important because we need we can always keep on learning and uh, old dogs can learn new tricks believe it or not we've you know we keep on going and going and going and we look at different opportunities that actually arise. But I think what's lovely about the story that Jerry's been telling us is that aim for the stars because, you know, go for where you can. Don't limit yourself to what you think you can do. Push ahead, push through those barriers. And what Garvin and I have been talking about somewhere along the line is that those fears that you have, don't let them stop you from going where you want to go. And uh, you never know what skills you've actually learned. If you then start to implement those skills, you could be doing what Jerry's doing, which is starting to produce as well as act and, and see opportunities where they hadn't, where you thought there hadn't been ones before. So again, Jerry, thanks very much for joining us today. Any last words you'd like to do before I hand over to Garvin there? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to the pair of you. Um, so yeah, just keep an eye out. Um, you'll see me in film festivals near you. and. Um, yeah, I look forward to coming back and chatting to you in the future at some stage. Oh, that'd be brilliant. So, Garvin, your last words. Well, I'm taking a couple of words from what you just said. And I heard we were all responsible in the past. So it's time to be irresponsible in the present. And you're saying that we're a bunch of old dogs or actually about to be a bunch of irresponsible old dogs trying to learn some new tricks. So that's, that's what I think the roundup on my side is. I'm, I'm, I want to learn a couple of new tricks. So watch right. out for Trixie here. We'll be back soon enough. Take care. Thanks for Thank watching, everybody, and look forward to seeing you next week. Bye for now. Hope you enjoyed this video. Please subscribe and click on the bell for notifications. <laughs>